Volunteer Central. And we were going to really do it up nice with some couches and some chairs, set up like a snack bar. And everyone who served on a Sunday morning, because they, they gave so much time and energy, they would have a place where they could go and, you know, just chill out between services. Or if they got there early, they could have a cereal bar or something just to kind of keep them going through the morning. And, and I didn't want it just to be a nice room with snacks. I wanted there to be some vision casting in the room. So I worked with the graphics guy there at Riverside, and we came up with this great idea of a big poster that we're going to put on the wall. It's going to be massive. It's going to cover the the whole wall on one side of the room, and it was just simply going to say, why we do what we do. And it was going to remind people of why it is that we do what we do. Just just put the vision before them. And I said to the graphics guy, I said, I want pictures, you know, from um, different things that go on around the church because I want to inspire people. Every time they come in and they see that poster, they want to be inspired and be like, yes, that's why we do what we do. I'm going to grab a donut and I'm going to get right in there and I'm going to serve because that's why we do what we do. So um, I was super excited. And I remember we had this big meeting with all of the volunteers. It was kind of a, a, a meal, and uh, I told them all about the room, and it was exciting, and I said, and I want to tell you that my favorite part of the room, and it's this big poster that we've designed, and, and I revealed it to everybody, and, and here is what that poster looked like, and everyone was super excited for about five seconds until someone pointed out, Dave, that actually says, why what we, we do do, and I said, no, 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 it says, why we do what we do, but after that was said, all anyone could ever see was, why what we, we do do, so... <laughs> So this morning, I want to tell you, here it connects, why, what, we, we, do, do, okay? I want to talk this morning about why we do what we do. Let's get that off the screen. It just haunts me every time I see it. Just, it was such a great idea, but it would always be known as the do-do poster. So, um, you know, I, I try to do this on a regular basis because I never want to assume that people have been coming to Connect long enough that everyone knows this, but um, I, maybe you've come from a different church background. Maybe you've moved into the area, you attended another church where you used to live. Um, maybe this is your very first church that you've ever attended, but we all come from different backgrounds and different places. So I think it's important every now and again just to remind all of us what we at Connect, what, what, why we do what we do. What makes us unique as a church here in Washington, Illinois? So this series is going to take us up to Easter, and I want to kind of reiterate why we do what we do. Why do people get here at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning and start brewing coffee? Just come in the auditorium here and straighten seats. Why do they clean the windows of all the, the little fingerprints so that when you arrive, those doors are nice and shiny? Why do the bands come in during the week to practice and um, work hard and then come in on a Sunday morning and spend a couple of hours uh, just running through the songs? Why do they do that? Why is it that we have folks that come in early on a Sunday morning and rather than come and sit in here, they, they go into the hallways around the building and work with our kids? Right now, there are some volunteers who are holding, crying babies, soothing, singing songs to them. They have babies of their own, and they're still holding your babies. They've held their babies all week long, and now for an hour on a Sunday morning, they're holding someone else's baby. Why, why would they do that? Why would these people do this? Well, there's several answers. One answer is that we love to create a space here on a Sunday morning where those of you who are followers of Jesus can come and can worship Jesus, 
can celebrate what he's done in your life, can, can learn a little bit more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's, that's one of the reasons why we do what we do. Another reason is that we want to create a space in Washington, a, a large community where you could come and where you could discover smaller communities, where you could connect with other people, where you could grow in your faith, where you could grow in your spiritual journey by connecting with others. There are several ways we provide that uh, through opportunities of serving. One of the big ways is our connect groups. If you're not a part of a group, ask at the desk afterwards how you can learn more about that. Case and I are part of a group right now. We just love it. We love this group that we're a part of. Some of the folks in our group, they are, their jobs literally put them on the front line working alongside um, kids who have um, extreme needs, who are tough kids, who, who are hard to love. And yet they feel that Jesus has put them in this place to, to love these kids in their workplaces, in schools, and in social services. And in our small group, we get to kind of talk a little bit about that and, and pray with these people. And it, it's become a great place to just kind of encourage one another. And I love that we have that opportunity to gather as a small group and have that community. That's one of the reasons why we do what we do. Another reason is that we believe that God called us to plant a church that wouldn't just impact people here in our community, but would impact the, the nation and the world. Here in our community, we've collected socks and gift cards. Across the country, we've helped plant other churches like Connect in cities across the United States. And we've even helped plant churches internationally. Through an organization called Stadia and Compassion, we've been able to help build some churches and Compassion Children's Centers in, in Ecuador. And last, last year, I was so excited when we opened the doors to this building to be able to stand on the stage on our grand opening weekend and say, hey, this wasn't the only church that we built in 2019. I was able to announce that as well as renovating and, and building this permanent space that we now call the Connect Center, the Connect Church meets in on every Sunday morning, as well as this building, we were also able to fund and build a building down in Ecuador. It was so exciting to share that. And Case and I actually have just returned from a big church planting conference down in Orlando. And uh, one of the highlights for us was we got to be a part of the Stadia um, organization. They had a big banquet celebrating church planting and what they're doing. And they got to tell our story. They told the story of how we were able to plant this church in Ecuador and they put together a little bit of a video to, to tell the story. And it was, um, it was just a very well put together video that they did. So I thought I'd let you watch it this morning. Stadia took me and some other pastors on a vision trip down to Ecuador. And they wanted to show us pastors what we could do uh, as far as church planting goes around the world. And I had this crazy idea one day. <laughs> they said, I have a crazy idea, but I want to see if you'll go for it. Connect doesn't have the funds for this this year, but there is a, a woman in our church who has a heart for missions, and I want to present this to her, but what I want us to do is take them on a trip to Ecuador. What if we take the money that we, we have got, and we take five or six of these ladies down to Ecuador, and then at the end of the trip, say to them, now would you be willing to step out in faith here and help fund this project. Dave calls us up and says, hey, can, can Case and I come over tonight and give you, we just want to talk. And you know when you just feel like this is that God moment where he is opening the door and are you going to step through it? 
It was a quick trip. Everything was shoved into two days, which is insane. But we experienced everything we needed to. On the bus ride home, I challenged them, like, can we do this in 30 days? Because everything is ready. I think our hearts sunk a little. I just watched them starting to talk to one another and dreaming and thinking, well, we could do this, we could do this. This fear started to creep up. Well, what if nothing happens? And every step of the way, I think God was just wanting to say, Dave, I, I got this, check this out. We ended up raising that money within a month. And I was floored. Like, how cool to get to be a part of this, to watch it happen, to watch the Lord fighting for every piece along the way. But I just felt that this was not over. And it felt scary to think those words. We just did it, like we completed this. So I had called Andrea and I was like, hey, the owners of Monet are from Venezuela, and a lot of people are fleeing to Colombia. What if we picked something along the border of Venezuela? And she was like, Jess, there is like a red flag need. And we came up with a plan where she was going to go to Monations and present this to everyone. In 28 hours, the whole $87,000 had been funded. So we get this call then from an anonymous donor. They want to match the money for the last two Colombian church plants. My faith was so encouraged, and I was like, God is not done. Stadia and Connect and Monet and all the market partners and Monet corporate, we were able to raise $350,000 and plant four churches in four months. God can do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine. We were a part of something so big that will change generations to come. Yeah. Did you feel like you were kind of watching like the introduction to Ocean's Eleven there? Kind of had that feel, didn't it? It's, I think it's because of the beard. I look like Brad Pitt or George Clooney. That's what did it, I think. And the music a little bit, but mainly the beard. Um, I love that story. It's just such an incredible story because I can remember sitting down with Jessica saying, hey, um, we've got some money in our, our church planting funds and we don't have enough to plant a whole church, but we've got enough to um, uh, allow you and some of your colleagues to come with us because I want you to catch the vision. I had no idea. I, I would have been happy if we'd just been able to plant one church, but it snowballed into four churches being planted, one in Ecuador, three in Colombia. And I want to tell you something here this morning. If, if you've ever given in the offering here at Connect Church, if you've ever, whether it's a dollar, a hundred dollars, whatever it is, 10% of every dollar that's given every Sunday morning, we set aside specifically for church planting. So if you gave in an offering, if you've ever given an offering, some of what you've given helped go towards creating that dream. You, you are a part of that story. There are four churches that are in the process of being built now that will reach hundreds of children in the name of Jesus, will rescue them from poverty, will change their lives forever, will expose them to the message of Jesus and how much he loves them. And it couldn't have happened if you didn't give and if we didn't step out as a church in faith to say, I think we can do something bigger than what we can do just here in Washington, Illinois. And you're a part of that story. That's, that's a big reason why we do what we do. But I have to be honest with you here this morning. There are other reasons too, but the biggest reason, the, the main reason behind why we do what we do is because we believe that there is a God in heaven who loves us all, 
who wants a relationship with every single one of us, who loves us so much and is, is so keen to have that relationship that he is willing to send his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to die in our place, so that that relationship between us and Father God can be restored. And if you want to know why we do what we do, it's to tell as many people as possible that message. To let them know that God loves them so much. That God has a plan for their lives. That God wants to be in relationship with every single one of them. If I I could sum it all up into one phrase, why we do what we do, is to connect our community to Christ. Connecting our community to Christ. That's why we started Connect, and seven, eight years later, that's still the very heart of why we do what we do. You know, this series is going to take us all the way up to Easter. Easter's a great time of the year, and, and what we as in the church have found is that Easter tends to be one of those holidays where, where even people who aren't followers of Jesus, even people who aren't regular churchgoers, if they're going to go to church one Sunday of the year, Easter Sunday is that day. So we hope and pray that when people come to connect this Easter, that they'll get to hear that message. We hope and pray that it'll be the first of many more times that they'll come to church because they'll realize why Jesus came, why he died, why he rose again, and that he wants to be a part of their lives. Many of us this morning have already experienced that. Many of us have made that decision to follow Jesus. For me, when I was 18 years old, I had this encounter with Jesus. A friend of mine had become a a follower of Jesus and he was telling me about it and I could see the change in his life. I could see the light in his eyes that that had not been there before. And I couldn't shake that. I I knew there was something different about him. I remember wrestling with God and I was just, I, I felt like I can't give up this life and I'll have to give up so much if I want to be a follower of Jesus. At 18 years old, I, I was imagining all the things I would have to say no to if I was going to say yes to Jesus. But, but finally, I made that decision to follow Jesus and my life has been changed ever since. He made such a difference in my life. I know there are some of you here this morning that maybe you're, you're not there yet. You're still trying to work this out. You're, you're here at the invitation of a friend or a spouse or a family member, but but you're still not 100% sure where you stand on this or what you believe. You're going to discover this morning as as we look at the words of Jesus that God loves you so much. God has a plan for your life and God is pursuing you right now. You may not even realize this, but God is pursuing you at this very moment. So as we go to Easter, we're, we're thinking about this idea of an open door. And I'll tell you why, because there's a, uh, a book in the New Testament, it's called Revelation. It's actually the very last book in the Bible. If you've ever tried to read it, it's incredibly complicated. It's very difficult to understand. There's a lot of prophetic language, and it talks all about end time stuff. And, and many people just kind of start, and they're like, yeah, I can't figure that out. I'm going to leave that to the experts. But at the very beginning of the book, there are some letters that Jesus has John, the author of the book, that Jesus has John write to some different churches. And in one of those letters, he writes uh, something to one of those churches that I think is just as real to us today, 2,000 years later, as it was back then to that church. It can be found in Revelation 3.20, and it simply says this, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. 
I love that image that Jesus is using there, that, that he's standing at the door and knocking. That verse has inspired works of art over the years. Probably one of the most famous was um, by an artist by the name of William Holman Hunt. In 1851, he painted this picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. So much care and attention went into this work of art. The artist, who was a a follower of Jesus himself, said, you know, when I painted the door, I I pictured it being overgrown and, and had been closed for a long time. Another very important image, another very important part of this this work of art is that if you look at the door, there is no handle on the outside. The only way that door opens is from the inside. There have been other paintings and pictures drawn in years since, and, and all of them capture that same idea that this door that Jesus stands at and knocks, there is only a handle on the inside. Because the image is that that, that door is a relationship with Jesus. That door is the door to our lives, to our hearts. And only we can open that door. Jesus can stand and he can knock, but he can't get in unless we ourselves let him in. Like I said, many of us have have already made that decision to let him in. And maybe you're here this morning and you've not yet made that decision. I hope you will. Because I think you'll find it's going to change your life forever. But the idea that Jesus has stood at the door, that's why we do what we do. We want the door to be open. We want as many people to open that door as possible. We want as many people to open the door to Jesus as possible. But the only way that's going to happen is if we can help draw people to that door. If we can help lead people to that door. If we can help people understand that Jesus is stood at the door and he's knocking. And that's why we do what we do. And when you understand the why... It affects the what. When you understand why we do what we do, it affects the what. It affects what we do. What we do as a church and what we do as individuals. You see, Jesus talked about this very idea one day with some religious leaders. Because they didn't get it. They didn't fully understand what was going on. They had a bit of a problem with Jesus' methods. And who it was that he was hanging around with. One of the authors of the life of Jesus. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They all tell us an account of the life of Jesus. Luke um, tells these, these three stories about something that was lost. And it was stories that Jesus himself told. But at the very beginning he explains why Jesus is telling these stories. And that's in Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 2. It says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love that phrase there that Luke uses. He says tax collectors and notorious sinners. These weren't just your average sinners. Okay, these weren't just your people who, you know, went through the eight items or less checkout line with ten items. Okay, these, these were notorious sinners. Now, he doesn't tell us what they did or who they were. And I, I have no idea what it takes to make you a notorious sinner. But the tax collectors and the religious leaders... They weren't happy about it. These weren't the kind of people that Jesus should have been hanging around with. It actually made the Pharisees, the teachers of religious law, complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. He wasn't just hanging out. He was going to their house. He was hanging out. He was eating meals with them. 2,000 years ago, the religious people had a really hard time with the idea that Jesus this religious leader himself would hang out with people 
like that. We were at this church planning conference last week, and uh, one of the main speakers in the conference, he was a, a church planter in New York. He's in Bronx in a real kind of tough area. He's been there 25 years just planting these urban or these churches in these urban settings, talking about some of the hurdles he's had to overcome in planting churches. He says, some of the communities I plant in, uh, we reach a certain demographic of people. He said, there's one church we planted, and it just seemed that in that area, a lot of the people who, who joined the church were ex-convicts, people who had actually found Jesus in prison, people who ironically had opened the door to their hearts in a building where there was no other door that they could open. <laughs> The only door they had any control of was that door. And they were coming out of prison, changed people, looking for a church to get plugged into. And this guy said, it was great. They were coming to my church. He says, these people were great. He goes, I remember meeting one guy, he said, and uh, uh, he, was, he was a brand new follower of Jesus, and he wants to get plugged in, and he wants to serve somewhere. So I said to him, what skills do you have? You know, what did you do before you went into prison? He goes, well, I was in pharmaceutical sales. He said, okay. He said, what position did you hold there? He said, well, I was in charge of several different divisions. We call them corners. But yeah, I was in charge of many of them. He says, well, it sounds like you're a businessman. It sounds like you're very organized. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, well, I'm going to put you in charge of, like, the budget. I'll put you in charge of running things. He says, everything grew. Offerings went up. Everything was organized. This guy was a really slick businessman. I mean, this was the right guy to put in charge. But he said, after a while, I had people from the church coming to me, and they were kind of a little bit concerned about some of those people, you know, these, these ex-convicts, these people who maybe the, the religious, maybe notorious sinners, they were showing up at the church. He said, I had to remind the folks in my church, he says, you do know, don't you, that, that Jesus, that guy we worship, that he's actually a convicted Jewish felon. You know that, right? That The guy we worship. But he was dealing with the same problem that 2,000 years ago the religious leaders were facing. It was that idea of, well, I'm not sure if we want those people, those people from the outside. But, but Jesus is telling this story because those people are incredibly important to him. Seeing the response of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he, he goes into more detail and he tells this wonderful story about a shepherd. He said, um, Jesus told him this story, verse 4, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. Because I have found my lost sheep. You see, Jesus is brilliant. He, he uses these stories that people can relate to and understand. But buried deep in these stories is this incredible truth, this incredible deep spiritual truth that he wants people to understand. So he's talking to a group of people who understand shepherds. In this culture, they, they got it. You didn't have to be a shepherd or a farmer to understand. Everyone knew who shepherds were and what they did back then. So when he's talking about a shepherd who has 100 sheep, counting them one day, he's got 99, one's missing, he goes off looking for one. This, this is less of a story and more of a joke. As Jesus is telling this, I think people are kind of chuckling, thinking, what a stupid shepherd. 
What shepherd in his right mind leaves 99 good, healthy sheep alone in the wilderness to fend for themselves to go and look for one? That's ridiculous. You just cut your losses. You're happy that you've got 99. You don't go looking for the one. If we had to retell that story today, it would go something like this. Imagine a man is sat in his front yard and he's, he's counting his money and he has $150 bills. That's $5,000 for those of you who are trying to carry the zero in your head. Okay, he's got $5,000, $150 bills. And one day he's counting them and he realizes that he's only got 99. So now instead of having $5,000, he's only got $4,950. I'd be okay with that. I could give up 50 if I still had 4,950. But no, this guy, he sets the bills down on a table in his front yard on a breezy day, and off he goes looking for the one. It's stupid, isn't it? No one in their right mind would do that, but that's the story Jesus is telling. And as he's telling this story, I think the tension is building, and, and people are thinking, this is ludicrous. This shepherd must be an idiot. What kind of shepherd would do that? And then Jesus delivers the punchline. The shepherd who values the life of the one sheep that's lost. The person who cares deeply about the one who is lost. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's how much Jesus cares about those who he's not yet in relationship with. That's how much he cared about the the notorious sinners and the tax collectors that were hanging around with him. He says, I'm here for those people who are lost, who do need me. Maybe some of you this morning can relate to that story because you feel like that one sheep that was lost. You can remember that time in your life where it just felt like he was pursuing you, where you knew that you were looking for something and it just seemed like everywhere this this idea of Jesus showed up. Maybe you're here this morning and the only way you can describe being here is it's like someone's pursuing me. That's Jesus. He cares about every single sheep. So why do we care about the lost? Why do we care about people who don't yet know Jesus? Because it mattered to Jesus. Because he had this radical, 99 isn't enough, I need 100. I need every single sheep kind of love for those who are lost. And when you understand the why, it affects the what. When you understand why Jesus cared for people so much, it affects what we do. So what do we do when we understand that people are lost? I think sometimes we make the mistake of of categorizing who the lost people are. In our minds, we go to the the notorious sinners, the ones who are far from Jesus. We're like, oh, yes, take a look at him. He is obviously lost. It's quite clear by some of the decisions that she's making that she is definitely lost. And we tend to think that, that the only people that can reach folks like that are the professionals, those ones who, you know, it's their, it's their calling, it's their spiritual gift to go after people who are really, really lost. But the way Jesus describes the person who's lost is just somebody who hasn't yet found Jesus, who hasn't yet discovered him for themselves. That could be a friend of yours. It could be your spouse. Your kids, a family member, someone you work with, someone in your community. It could be you here this morning. And Jesus 
is pursuing all of those people. And he wants us to play a part in that. He wants us to help introduce these people to the door. He wants that door to be opened, and he wants us to help bring people to that door. And even now, as I speak to the followers of Jesus in the room, I wonder if some of you are thinking, oh, but Dave, that's kind of difficult. I just feel uncomfortable doing that. You know, when you stand and speak on the stage, it just seems so natural to you. But when I start talking about it, I don't even feel like I know what I'm talking about, and I have to get things wrong, and it's probably easier if I don't say anything. You know, Jesus tried to help us out a little bit here. He said, here's how you reach people who are lost. Here's how you reach the people who haven't yet discovered Jesus. Matthew, another um, author of the life of Jesus, he, he quotes Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. He says simply as follows of Jesus, that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Do you know what Jesus wants you to be? He wants you to be salt, and he wants you to be light. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, here's why we do what we do. It's to reach people that don't know Jesus, and here's how we do it, by being salt and being light. So what does that mean? Any of you, um, someone who, like before you've even taken the first bite of your meal, you're already putting salt all over it. Any of you salt addicts out there, you're like, I mean, it could be already really salty, but you're, just, you're assuming it's going to need more salt. Or maybe you're somebody who, when you take a bite of a meal, you're like, ah, yeah, this is definitely missing something. And, and right there on the table, it needs, just needs a little bit more salt. Because salt changes the flavor, doesn't it? That's what salt does. It, it makes a difference. It changes the flavor. Did you know that many, many years ago, I'm going to speak to people younger than me here this morning, so if you're younger than 35. Um, so many years ago... <laughs> When I used to go to a concert as I was younger, I used to have to take a cigarette lighter with me. You're like, why was that? Was that because you smoked? No. I used to have to take a cigarette lighter because there would come a time during the concert where the ballad would come on, that one song, and we would all get out our cigarette lighters and we'd light them all around the stadium and it was just amazing. Now, I know some of you are like, well, Dave, why wouldn't you just get your phone out and put your flashlight on? Well, do you know what? Back then, in the 1900s, our phones didn't have flashlights. Do you know why? Because they were phones. That's all they were. You just pushed buttons and you talked to people. That's all they did. It's, I know it's ridiculous, right? How do we survive? But um, now phones have flashlights. So maybe you've been to a concert and all the flashlights, but whether it's a lighter or a flashlight, if you've ever been to a show or something like that and the, the, the lights come out, it's just the most amazing thing, isn't it? It could be a room that's dark like this that's suddenly lit up completely just by hundreds of tiny little flashlights, hundreds of cigarette lighters all around the stadium. Because that's what light does. It lights up the room. As followers of Jesus, he's calling us to be salt and light, calling us to change the flavor of the environments that we're in, to light up the space in which we're in, to cause people who don't yet know Jesus to look and say, I don't know what it is, but I want what you've got. Like I say, when I was 18 years old, I remember talking to this guy's name was Simon Crook. Simon was just this bad guy, got into all sorts of trouble, found Jesus, and I remember talking to him, and just there was a salt and a light to him that I'd not seen before. 
And I remember thinking, I'm, I'm struggling to believe a lot of what you're telling me, but I cannot deny that there is something in you. There is something different. You are passionate that, that you believe this, that something has changed in you. Jesus is calling us as his followers to be those people. He wants us to attract the lost sheep to him. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at some real practical ways of of how we can see that play out. And I hope you'll join us as we continue on through this series leading up through Easter. Because like I said, each, each week is going to have like another practical tool that you can use. Just an idea of how I can be more effective. How I can reach those people that I love that don't yet know Jesus. That haven't yet discovered him like I have. You see, I'm going to be honest with you here this morning. I can remember at 18 years old, making that decision to follow Jesus. I can remember the difference it made in my life. I remember there was a time where I felt like an emptiness in my life. And I was trying to fill that emptiness with all sorts of different things. But I remember thinking, I just these things are working temporarily. They're filling the void. But every night when I go to bed, I still feel empty. And I remember praying and asking Jesus, to come through the door, opening the door to him. And the emptiness went. He filled my life. It's not been easy since then. There's been lots of ups and downs, but I've always felt his presence, always felt that, that fullness. But here's the danger. I've got so used to that that if I'm not careful, I can forget what it was like when I didn't know him. Some of us may have grown up going to church. We, we don't even remember the specific time. Maybe we were a child when we made that decision to follow Jesus. So we don't remember what it was like. We can't relate completely to what it was like when we didn't know him. But there are some friends you've got right now, some neighbors, some family members, some people you may work alongside who are in that place right now. And Jesus is pursuing them. He doesn't look down at Connect and say, well, we've got lots of people already there. No, he... He's willing to leave the 99 in the wilderness to fend for themselves to pursue the one who is still to be found. And here's the role we play in that. I believe one day there will be folks, even in this community, who will get to heaven and and, and they won't stand there and say, you know, I'm here because of Connect Church. Connect Church may well be the church that they they joined and became a part of and where they grew in their faith. But they're going to say, I'm here because of Becky. Because she told me her story. I'm here because of John. Because he invited me. I'm here because of Frank, Sarah, Amy, whatever your name is here this morning, whoever you are this morning, I'm here because someone was salt and light in my life. And as we lead up to Easter, I, wanna, I want us just never to lose sight of why we do what we do. Because it was so important to Jesus. I want it to be so important to us as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for us. Thank you, Lord, that he modeled this wonderful life and he was very clear in what his mission was. He did some amazing things. He taught some incredible things. But in telling the stories that he told about the lost, it was very clear that the reason he came was to reach people who didn't know him. 
reach people who weren't religious leaders, but people who were far from him. And the same is I believe you are pursuing friends and family members of ours, people in our community, people who sit on the sidelines with us at sports events when our kids are playing. You are pursuing them. You are standing at the door of their lives and you are knocking. But Lord, it needs us to help introduce these people to you. So help us, Lord. This can be overwhelming at times, Lord, but Father, it doesn't have to be. It's just us. in our community, so help us to do that. And help us over the coming weeks to discover how we can play a part in leading people to that door. Because Lord, we want to see as many people open that door as possible. So help us in that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.